Hi everyone, welcome to Grown Ups Read Princess Stories, the podcast where grown ups from around the world read stories about princesses, be them fairy tales or true stories. I am your host, RPJ, and welcome back to another episode. Today we have a true story coming your way. It is the true story of Laxmibai. Now, this is a crazy, amazing true story. Did I mention that it's true? And that it's crazy? And that it's amazing? Because it's all of those things. And when you have a story that's this cool, this amazing, you need an amazing human being to read that story. And that's why I have Millie Mumford reading this story here for all of you. But who is Millie Mumford, you're asking yourself? Well, you're missing out because Millie Mumford's a great human being. Millie Mumford has been a grown-up technically for just over a decade, but only really began to feel like one when they adopted their kitty child, Ripley, four years ago. That's a cat, not a human. Ripley. I mean, if you don't know what Ripley is, for all you kids out there, ask your parents. They love storytelling and work as a filmmaker, theater actor, theater creator, as well as an astronomy educator at the H.R. Macmillan Space Center in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. That's right, people. A real astronomy educator is going to read a story for all of you. Someone who works in a space center is reading today. They're also a scientist. What? Not just a space person, but a scientist? I mean, maybe those things go hand in hand. And are currently studying how to keep astronauts and their brains healthy when they fly to Mars. Because we're going to need that information when we go to Mars. Their favorite princesses growing up were Princess Leia of Alderaan, naturally. Famulan and Princess Kida of Atlantis. You can follow Millie Mumford on Instagram at Millie Grams. But that being said, strap in because this true story is going to blow your mind. I promise you. Please enjoy. Hello, my name is Millie Mumford and I'm going to be reading Lakshmi Bai, the princess who led a rebellion with her son strapped to her back. And this story takes place, it's a real story. It takes place from 1834 to June 17th, 1858 in Jhansi, North Central India. Let's get started. Rani Lakshmi Bai of Jhansi died in the heat of battle with the reins of her horse in her teeth and a sword in each hand. Pretty cool. Or maybe, she was turning to cut down the soldier who had just shot her in the back. Or maybe she was only wounded and survived long enough to distribute her jewelry to her men and have them build her funeral pyre. Accounts vary. However death came, Lakshmi Bai did die, and in death became a legend, a symbol of India's struggle against colonial oppression. But the truth is, she didn't set out to be a rebel. She was the young widow of a Maharaja in the state of Jhansi, when the Indians rebelled against the British East India Company in 1857, and her intent was to hold on until the British would gain control. 
But when the British labeled her as a sympathizer at best and a rebellious whore at worst, whorephobic, we don't like that at all, Rani Lakshmi Bai decided to show them just how rebellious she could be. This chapter is called Becoming Rani. Before she was Rani Lakshmi Bai, Rani means princess or queen in Hindi, she was just Bitter Manu, a little Brahmin girl who lost her mother when she was very small. Growing up in the luxurious court of the disposed chief minister of the defunct Maratha Empire, Manu played only with boys, and so she did the things they did. She learned to read and write, and was taught to ride horses and elephants, use a sword, and fly a kite, all of which are pretty cool hobbies to have. She was said to be exceptionally brave. I don't doubt that for a second. Once, when a rampaging elephant was loose in her city, Manu leapt onto its trunk and calmed the beast before it could do any more damage. It's unclear how much of the, this tomboy tale is true. The elephant probably is not. But little Manu was destined for greatness. In 1842, she was married to a childless widower, the much older Maharaja of a city-state in north-central India that had sworn allegiance to the British East India Company, or EIC. Traditional sources claim that she was only eight years old at the time, not an uncommon marrying age for Indian royalty in the 19th century. Things have since changed a little bit. The union gave her a new name, Lakshmi Bai, put an end to her carefree childhood, and tied her to Jhansi, a hot, dry place where the wicked dust storms were called the Devil's Breath. Ugh, that doesn't sound great at all. By the time Lakshmi Bai was 14, her marriage was consummated. By 17, she was pregnant. Young. But the birth of her son and the Maharaja's heir brought only short lived happiness. The boy died just at three months old. Oh man. Followed soon after by her devastated husband. That's not fun at all. So in November 1853, Rani Lakshmi Bai was a teenaged widow. A vulnerable widow, the British probably thought. <laughs> Little did they know she knew how to use a sword. Just before his death, the old Maharaja had tried to keep the EIC from seizing Jhansi lands by adopting a five-year-old boy and naming him as heir. Administration of the state would be vested in Lakshmi Bai until the child came of age. But Lord Dalhousie, Governor General of the EIC, refused to recognize either Lakshmi Bai or the boy as rightful rulers. Huh. Colonialism, am I right? In early 1854, the EIC annexed Jhansi, claiming it would be better for the inhabitants if, if they were under direct company rule. Rani Lakshmi Bai was given a life pension and allowed to remain in the palace. She demanded the governor general reconsider, writing letters pointing out various aspects of British and Indian law that upheld her claim, because she was very smart. Dalhousie refused, eh, and Jhansi was swallowed up by the EIC. British presence in India would have been ludicrous if not for the money the country brought in and the pretensions of empire it afforded. The EIC had ruled since around 1773 through a combination of outright land ownership, mostly acquired through wars and annexation, and by using existing royal families as puppet administrators. So this land ownership came because they stole the land as opposed to owning it in the first place. But India was hot and full of diseases to which the colonials were unaccustomed. <laughs> Serves them right. Local populations chafed under the restrictions placed on their autonomy, as well as British residents' general disregard for local religious institutions, laws, and customs. 
It was only a matter of time before things got nasty. No kidding. In May 1857, Indian sepoys, or native troops recruited by the EIC, decided that they'd have enough. The spark that lit the powder keg was the decision by EIC army commanders to use grease cartridge rifles. It was common practice to bite open the cartridges to release the gunpowder, meaning that the soldiers would probably inadvertently consume some of the grease. Blech. In a ridiculous oversight, the grease in question was made from cow or pig fat, angering both the Hindus, who religion, whose religion regards the cow as a sacred animal and the pig as disgusting, and the Muslims, whose faith explicitly disallows the consumption of pork products. The grease was replaced, but the damage was done. Several sepoys refused to use the cartridges. On May 10th, after the protesting sepoys were court-martialed and sentenced to hard labor, Revolt began in the city of Meerut. The British were slaughtered as they left church, looting, murdering, and arson swept through the city. Ooh. Chaos thundered into nearby Chaos thundered into nearby Delhi, where the last Mughal emperor gave his support to the rebellion and nominated his own inexperienced son to command the military forces. Hmm. Within a month, Revolutionary fires spread to Jhansi, where British administrators had not exactly endeared themselves to the local population after taking control four years earlier. Surprise, surprise. Turns out if you steal people's land, they don't like you very much. First, they lifted the ban on the slaughter of cows and outraged the Hindu population. Then they demanded that revenues earmarked for a Hindu temple be remitted to the East India Company. Finally, they forced Lakshmi Bai to pay some of her husband's state debts out of her private pension and cut her off from funds left by the late Maharaja for the couple's adopted son. Eh. The Rani's appeal on behalf of her people went unanswered, and by the time rebellion reached Jhansi, anger had long been building. The simmering resentment exploded into the June 8, 1857 massacre of 61 English men, women, and children who'd taken refuge as, at the fort of Jhansi before surrendering to rebel forces. Contrary to later reports, Lakshmi Bai seems to not have taken part in that uprising. She was besieged in her palace by mutineers at the time. When the insurgents left Jhansi later that month, the remains of British authority left with them. The Rani took control and began to deal with the defense of her lands by enlisting troops, casting cannons, and making weapons. Popular legend claims that Lashmi Bai trained her own regiment of female soldiers. Whether or not that's true, the military wasn't created to fight the British. Rather, her army was defending Jhansi from neighboring Rajas look to, looking to exploit the power vacuum and build their own empire. Mm -mm -mm. In September and October of 1857, the Rani successfully fended off assaults from two would-be emperors. In fact, though Rani Lakshmi Bai had more than enough reason to cast her lot with the rebels, throughout that summer and into the autumn, she repeatedly affirmed her allegiance to the absent British authority. When, for example, the mutinies who besieged the English at the fort demanded she pro provide them with weapons and money, Lakshmi Bai agreed, but wrote to the British explaining her actions and asking for help and protection against her neighbors, appeals that were never answered. Even when asked by the warden of the local jail if she'd fight against the British, Lakshmi Bai replied that she would re return Jhansi to English rule as soon as they returned. The British, however, didn't believe her. In the months after the rebellion broke out, Lakshmi Bai was declared a rebel by British forces, slandered in the press, and in official company documents. 
She was branded a Jezebel ooh, and a whore. Ah, again with the whore phobia. Don't like it. Responsible for that horrifying massacre at the fort. The British wanted someone to blame, and Rani Lakshmi Bai was a convenient scapegoat. No kidding, because she was a woman in power. Huh. By winter 1858, the unorganized rebellion was dying in the face of British counterinsurgency. Most of northern India was back under colonial rule. Blech. At the end of February, British forces were moving to take back Chansi, and they intended to do so with force. After months of pleading for aid and declaring herself their loyal friend, Lakshmi Bai came to realize that if she was caught by the British, she would likely be tried as a rebel and hanged. But she, if she sided with the rebels, at least she could die fighting. So as the army marched ever closer, Rani Lakshmi Bai finally became what the British claimed she was. A rebel. Aha. On March 23rd, the British siege of Jhansi began. Lakshmi Bai oversaw the defense of her city against cannon fire. When, when walls crumbled, she directed that they be rebuilt. On March 30th, another rebel leader and childhood friend of the Rani came to her defense with 20,000 troops. Hope was extinguished, however, when the army of raw recruits was defeated and the British broke through the city walls. Contemporary accounts say the streets ran with blood as the Jhansi forces fought in hand-to-hand -hand combat. The palace was captured, but as the British readied their final assault, the general received word that Lakshmi Bai had escaped, and with a contingency of soldiers to boot. The British assault devastated Jhansi's defenses, but more problematically, the fort's water supply had gone dry. Flight was Lakshmi Bai's only option. Dressed as a soldier and with her adopted son in tow, either strapped to her back or tucked in her lap, she took off on horseback into the night. The British cavalry was hot on her heels. An officer came within snatching distance, but Lakshmi Bai succeeded in striking him down with her sword. This is probably the genesis of the folk art images of Lakshmi Bai plunging into battle with her son strapped to her back, which, were it true, would be a very questionable parenting decision. It's actually probably more likely that, in fact, you know, she was trying to flee and had strapped her son to her back to protect him, and then a bunch of British came up and tried to get in her business, and she said absolutely not, and cut them down with her sword, because they were trying to get in her and her son's business. Don't go up against Lakshmi Bai. She's a rebel without a cause. Lakshmi Bai now had a price on her head. She joined the other rebels at Kalpi, a city some 90 miles east of Jhansi. But to her great chagrin and the everlasting lament of the people in the region, she was not given command of the rebel army. That's ridiculous. She should be a general at this point. That honor went to the childhood friend who'd failed to save Jhansi even when his army outnumbered the British five to one. Ha, huh, another historical account of a capable woman getting her job snatched away and given to a not-so-capable man. The city of Kunch fell to the British, and then Kalpi capitulated, with Rani Lakshmi Bai barely escaping. The rebels decided to make one last stand at Gwalior, traditionally a region that supported the British, but whose troops had been won over to the rebel cause. Confident that Gwalior would be the site of victory, rebel leaders started celebrating before the battle had even begun. Ooh, that's not a great plan. But not Rani Lakshmi Bai. <laughs> she knew what was coming. While her compatriots ate and prayed and sang, she inspected the troops from horseback armed with sword and pistol. <laughs> she knew what was up. When the British arrived on June 17, 1858, Lakshmi Bai and her forces were waiting for them at the gates. 
Dressed in full battle gear with sword drawn, the Rani of Jhansi plunge into battle, and all accounts agree, face death bravely. Of course she did. The exact circumstances of her death are unclear. One story says that when she was cut down, she was fighting with two swords, one in each hand, the reins of her horse gripped in her teeth. Yeah, that makes sense. Another says she was shot in the back, turned to fire on her assassin, and was run through with a sword. Still other accounts claim she was fatally wounded, but managed to stay alive long enough to instruct her soldiers, shoulders, <laughs> instruct her soldiers and their shoulders to build her funeral pyre before she dragged herself to be, oh, how, before she dragged herself to it to be burned alive. Hmm. Before she dragged herself to, to it to be burned alive, she distributed her gold jewelry amongst her troops. Well, that's nice. However it happened, Rani Lakshmi Bai's death signaled the end of the rebellion. No kidding, because she was the only thing holding it together at this point. The road to Gwalior was taken by the British and the city itself soon fell. The revolt was over. Despite defeat, the rebellion could claim one important victory, the end of rule by the East India Company. By August 1858, the dust had cleared and the EIC was officially dissolved. <laughs> but the British experiment in India was far from over. Experiment. That's a fun way of saying taking over someone's country. Queen Victoria assumed the title Empress of India. Oh, of course she did. And the government took control of the country as the British Raj. It wasn't until 1947 that the country gained its independence, yay, remaining a dominion of the British crown until 1950. Eh, but at least a little bit better. Throughout India's struggle for independence, Rani Lakshmi Bai's legend was an inspiration. Her story is still taught in schools, and she even stars in an eponymous series of comic books. She is a hero, a political symbol, the Indian Joan of Arc. I mean, she's just kind of an Indian rebel, awesome person doesn't have to be compared to Joan of Arc. Even Sir Hugh Rose, who faced this bravest of the rebel leaders in battle, had to admit the best man on the side of the enemy was the Rani of John C. And the moral of this story is if there is a capable woman who's good with a sword, you should probably trust her to lead your army because she knows what she's doing. Don't let the army be led by some schmuck of a guy doesn't know what he's doing just because he's a guy. No, 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 no. Make sure the woman who knows what she's doing is leading the army. And that way, you are more likely to win the rebellion. Yeah. Exactly. Would you let, you know, Luke Skywalker, fresh off the farm, lead your rebellion? No, no, no. He had to be trained to be a Jedi first. But Princess Leia knew what she was doing from the beginning. That's why she became a general. Case in point. Uh, yep, that's it. That's it for me. Well, good night, everybody. We'd like to thank Millie Mumford for coming onto the podcast and reading that wonderful story because scientists are busy. I'm not sure if you know this, but they're trying to save the world from all of our stupidity. It's just the truth, okay? We need to be doing better and we need to start listening to the scientists. It's just a fact. It's just a fact. Anyway, if you would like to follow this podcast because you haven't already, which is weird, you can do so by clicking Grown Ups Read Princess Stories on Twitter, Facebook, or on Instagram. Lots of info there. Or you can go to transistor.com 
fm slash grownups read princess stories. That's where the main site is. I also have another podcast called Learning with Rod Peter Jr., where I talk to people from around the world about themselves. It's a very simple concept. I just ask them questions on who they are and the things they know, and they talk about those things, and you learn some stuff. I've been learning a lot. I've learned so much talking to these people from different fields and different areas of the world. It's been truly uh, an amazing experience. So please check that out. Learning with Rod Peter Jr. And that's about it. So everyone, please remember, you know, it's been over a year since this pandemic has come into effect. If this is when you're listening to it, if you're way off in the future, then I don't know what to tell you. But if you're listening to it when it initially came out, just remember that we're not out of the woods yet. And as much as it's hard right now still, that it's very, very important to be kind to each other and to stay safe. <laughs>